Would you please turn with me to the book of Acts? What a um, wonderful place for us to be at this particular time. What we are looking at are two different men. In this case, we have seen different men all along that, uh, that, that the book of Acts have shown us so that we can compare. In this particular instant, we are looking at the difference between Saul and Ananias. When we left Saul off in the ninth chapter of the book of Acts, he was in the city of Damascus. He was just on the outskirts, blind as a bat, couldn't see a thing. He went to a home on a street called Straight. A man named Judas owned the home. There we learned in verse 11 that Saul was fasting and praying, wondering what in the world is going to happen to him. While he was fasting and praying, the Bible teaches that he had a vision. He had a vision of a man named Ananias who was going to come into his home, lay his hands on him, Saul, so that Saul might regain his sight. So naturally, our attention should fall now upon a certain disciple. Look at verse 10. It says, Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. You'll note, first of all, that even though Ananias was just a certain disciple, that's all, Jesus still knows his name. I say to you as I say to everyone, Our Lord knows yours and my name. He knows us intimately, personally. He even has the number of hairs on our head numbered, counted. He knows you and me very well. And so this certain disciple named Ananias, if you look ahead at chapter 22 and verse 12, we learn a little bit more about him. The reason I want you to note this is... It's very, very interesting. In Acts chapter 22 and verse 12, it says, Ananias, a man who was devout by the standard of the law. It says that he was well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there in Damascus. So ironically, what you learn about this particular person, Ananias was that he would have been a main target for Saul to arrest, put in prison, hopefully get him to blaspheme so he could put him to death. So when Jesus, as we're going to read here in a moment, asks Ananias to go to Saul, for Ananias it was a huge step of faith because... As he says here, Lord, everyone knows about Saul. Read with me, please, in Acts chapter 9, starting with verse 10, and let's read verse 19. It says, There was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And Ananias said, Behold, here am I, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Arise, Go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. 
And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Verse 13, Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And now he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call upon your name. Verse 15 tells us, The Lord said to Ananias, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Ananias departed and entered the house and after laying his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in verses 18 and 19, immediately there fell from Saul's eyes something like scales and he regained his sight and he arose and he was baptized and he took food and he was strengthened. There's much more to this than might meet the eye. But basically what you and I must think about now before we go to the Lord in prayer are these precious words. The Lord said to Ananias, go. Remember, we've already studied this. Go. This man Saul, who you know has killed many people, go. He is a chosen instrument of mine. And I hopefully made you believe with all of your heart. No, hopefully the Lord made you believe with all of your heart that you too, we too, are chosen instruments of His, regardless of our pasts. And so this man, Ananias, just a certain disciple, just any one of us, sitting in church, hearing the voice of the Lord say to us, Go, go and do what I have asked you to do. And so we see a man, two men, Saul, Ananias, Saul, who wrote most of the New Testament, who who had a, a, a wonderful part in leading you and me to Christ through his writings. And Ananias, a, a man that you and I will not hear of again in Scripture. This is the only time we'll know or hear of him unless Paul brings him up in his testimony, which he does in Acts chapter 22 and also in Acts chapter 26. But as far as what Ananias did after this, you and I don't know. I can only guess he did great things. But, but, if he only, if he only did this one thing by laying his hands on Saul and saying, Brother Saul, the Lord God himself has asked me to come and lay my hands on you so that you may regain your sight. And as we're going to see in chapter 22, we're going to see that Saul says, or Paul then is known, says much more about Ananias. I think he had a great love for that man, a great love for him. And so whether you and I are Ananias or Saul, it's not important, is it? Really, is it? Is it important how much attention we get? Is it important all that we do? 
No, I'm here to say to you today's message as we go and prepare our hearts for communion. Today's message is all about our being obedient. Being willing to do the illogical for the Lord. Philip. When Philip was there in, in Samaria and he was going from city, really village to village and sharing Christ, an angel appeared to him and said, Philip, go to Gaza. Go on that desert road towards Gaza. Didn't say you're going to meet a man in a chariot. Didn't tell him anything. Just said go. And he went. The issue of our hearts is obedience. What a wonderful way to go in through this Thanksgiving season. And now, can you believe it? It's a month to Christmas. And you be- I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Time just scurries by. So be it. As a good friend of mine says, one more day is one day closer to the Lord. Let him rush by if he wants. But as we prepare our hearts for this Thanksgiving season and for our season into Christmas, think about our obedience. Think about doing the illogical when the Lord asks us to do it. Let's pray. Father, please open up our tender hearts. Our hearts, hopefully, Father, that are of good soil so that you might, you might do with us as you so see fit. Open up our hearts so that we might behold the most precious gift that has been given to mankind. And that is the, the wonders of your most glorious word. Bless us, dear Father. Allow us to see a a glimpse of you through communion and through these rocks that we will take home and pray over and, and write a verse upon and put our names on it and bring it back as a remembrance of, of what you've done for us from, the, from the, the churches you allowed us to meet in to the theaters, to the forum theater, to different places. And now here, Father, may we give you thanks and praise. And may we honor you by remembering what you have done for us through the rocks and through communion. Now, teach us, dear Lord. Move me aside so that we'll see you clearly, not see me, but see you clearly. I pray in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Amen. If Ananias, if Ananias, were listening to the Lord, some of his fears would have been put aside. Some of his fears would not have been so terrifying. I'm here to say to you and to me, if we would just understand the Word of God, understand the promises that we have, some of our fears would diminish as well. You see, if Ananias really listened, he would have heard the Lord say to him, Ananias, go. I want you to go to a street called Straight. There is a man named Saul from Tarsus. He's in the house of Judas. And he is praying. 
Ananias missed that. I don't begrudge him. I do not. But if Ananias just would have heard those three words, he is praying, Ananias would not have had to say what he said in verses 13 and 14. He wouldn't have had to say, Lord, we've heard much about this guy. We've heard about the harm that he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And, and, and we know, we know that he has the authority to arrest any and all of us who bear your name. That, those two verses would have been left out of the Bible. Had he just heard the Lord say, he's praying, he's praying, Ananias. He's one of us. Jesus tells Ananias that Saul was to become, in verses 15 and 16, a chosen instrument. Now, we've, we've said enough about that, I hope. I hope that's straight in your heart, that not just Saul, not just Ananias, but all of us who love the Lord are chosen instruments of His. But he says this, He is a chosen instrument of mine, and he is to bear the name of Jesus. You see that in verse verse, uh, uh, 15? Go, because he says, he will bear my name. You see, part of our loving the Lord, part of our being chosen instruments of his, is that we will bear his name for all to hear. But also it says in verse 16, Jesus says, I will also show him how much he will suffer for my name's sake. Wow. I'm going to tell you something right now that wouldn't be popular in most churches. But you need to hear this. Suffering is part of our call to Jesus Christ. Every single one of us will suffer to one degree or another. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2 with me, please. Hold your place here in Acts. In 1 Peter chapter 2, I would be remiss. In fact, I would not be a good teacher and not be a good friend of yours if I did not tell you that part and parcel of being a part of this, the family of God and serving our Lord, part of it is that we will suffer. In 1 Peter chapter 2, in verses 20 and 21, Peter says this, What credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? He's saying, what good is it if you've done something wrong and you're treated badly by it and and you're patient about it? What good is that? But, he says in verse 20, if, if when you do what is right and you suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. Verse 21 says, you and I, we as believers, have been called for this purpose. Talking about suffering and and enduring patiently. You and I have been called for this purpose since Jesus Christ also suffered for us, leaving you and me, leaving an example for us to follow in his steps. Part of your life as a believer 
is to suffer and to endure and to handle it. Paul says in many places, I'm picking out just two. Romans chapter 8, verse 18, and Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. If you want to turn to it, do, but I'm going to go through them quickly, please. Listen, and you can look later. In Romans 8, 18, Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. In other words, the suffering that you and I go through is a drop in the bucket compared to the glory that we will one, one day see in Christ. And Philippians 1.29 says, For to you it has been granted for the sake of Jesus Christ not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. And so, the Bible is clear, very clear. We will not, because we're believers, go through it like it's a bed of roses. We will all go through our difficulties. We will all go through times of sorrow, times of, of, of why me, Lord, and all of those things. But we will all suffer. And so you need to understand that it doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mean you've lost your salvation. It doesn't mean that something bad is going on. It just is the reality of life as a believer. We will all suffer. Of all the people who suffered, probably Paul the most. Both in 1st and 2nd Corinthians, they cataloged some of Paul's sufferings. But I believe it was only a small portion of what he truly suffered for the name of Jesus Christ. He suffered greatly until an axe severed his head and he died. He suffered for the name of Jesus Christ. Now you might remember that I said when you come to Christ, when a person comes to Christ, there are three things that are required. We see it mentioned here. The first thing is the leading of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit led Philip to go to that desert road on the way to Gaza to talk to that Ethiopian eunuch. The Holy Spirit used him, and then Philip, as I taught, used the Word of God, and the Word of God with the Holy Spirit of God through a person led a person, another person to Christ. God has chosen to use you and me. It's the most, most awesome privilege that you and I have is to be used by the glory and for the glory of God in and through our lives. The Holy Spirit will move you. The Word of God will use you. And you will help to see people come to Christ. Now, you might not see many. That might not be the, the, the gift that God has given to you where many people come to Christ. You might but just be someone who waters the seed but doesn't see the produce of it. But does it matter? No, I don't say it matters. Ananias was a man of God. He was strengthened through the word of God. It made him overcome his fears as he went to Saul. Now to see the type of man that Ananias truly is, Saul gives testimony to Ananias in Acts chapter 22. I would like to ask you to turn there, please. Hold your place in nine. Turn with me to Acts chapter 22. And look at Paul's account 
of how he came to know Jesus Christ and how God used Ananias in his life. In verse 12, as we already read in Acts chapter 22, it says, A certain Ananias, just a certain disciple named Ananias, a man who was devout by the standard of the law and well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there. Acts chapter 22, now verse 13. Saul says, He came to me, and standing near, he said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very time, I looked up at him. The first person he saw was Ananias standing there by him. And he said in verse 14, The God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear an utterance from his mouth. You will be a witness for him to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now Ananias says, why do you delay? Get up. Be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling upon his name. You know when ministry starts, people? Ministry starts the moment you come to Christ. You don't have to go to school. You don't have to be educated. Your ministry begins the moment, the moment you ask Christ into your heart. And God will use you and God will do something through you that is uncanny. And maybe, maybe you and I will be someone like Philip who will just reach one man who, who, who makes a difference in a continent. Maybe we will be like Ananias, reach one person who will reach hundreds upon thousands upon thousands of people for the cause of Christ. The ultimate measure of your life, the ultimate measure of your faith is how you and I respond to a command that seems illogical. Back to Acts chapter 9, it was utterly illogical for Ananias to go and to help Saul. Listen, we don't know for certain, but we can pretty much guess that Saul had perhaps killed, if not many of, of Ananias' friends, maybe some of his family. And God was going to say to him, Ananias, go. I want you to lay your hands on him. I want you to, to help him regain his sight because he's a chosen instrument of mine. How would you feel? How would you feel? If God asks you to go and do something for a, a person who has been unkind to you and treated you unkindly, and then to top it off, God says, he's a chosen instrument. She's a chosen instrument of mine. But this is not the first time that God asks anyone to do something that seems illogical. In Exodus chapter 14, the Lord said to Moses, Moses, why are you crying out to me? Moses was complaining because the people in the wilderness were complaining. He says, why have you put me in charge of these many people? They're, they're, they're killing me, Lord. They're, they're killing me. And he said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. And then he says, here's what I want you to do. Lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. Okay, yeah, right. All right, I'll do that. That sounds logical to me. I mean, I'll just tell the sea to open up. 
And the sons of Israel, God says, shall go through the midst of the sea right on dry land. Well, you know that very well that that's a true story. That's what happened. Some people say, oh, that wasn't a, that wasn't a sea. It was just, it was just a, it was just the Red Sea, and the Red Sea could be, at some places, it's only that deep. Ah, more of a miracle. The Lord drowned the whole Egyptian army in two feet of water. Pretty good. Pretty good. Illogical. But that God asked Moses to do as he had been asked. In 2 Kings chapter 5, Nahum came to the Lord with his horses and his chariots and he stood at the doorway of the house of Elijah. And Elijah, because Nahum was full with leprosy, Elijah sent a messenger to him and he said to him, go and wash in the Jordan seven times. Your flesh will be restored to you. You'll be clean, said to Nahum. Naaman said, the Bible says in verse 11, Naaman was furious, prideful. He went away from that, the house of, of, of Elisha, saying, I thought he would surely come out to me. In other words, does he not know who I am? Would he not come out and talk to me? No. And he tells me to go to the Jordan River. Are not, he says, Abana and Farpar, these are two rivers in Damascus. Aren't they better than the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them? Why do I have to go over there? And it says in the 12th verse of 2 Kings chapter 5, he walked away from Elijah's house in a rage, angry, basically because he was prideful. But also because it's illogical. He's dying of leprosy. He wanted to be cured. And he said, and a prophet of God said, go to, go to the Jordan River and wash yourself seven times. And when he walked away in rage, it said one of his servants came to him and said, had the prophet told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be cleaned? And so the Bible says in the 14th verse of Second Kings chapter 5, Nahum went down, dipped himself seven times in the Jordan River, and according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored, the Bible says. Like the flesh of a little child, he was clean. You see, God restores, but God does the most illogical things sometimes in your life and in my life. You and I must never limit God. Never, never limit Him. You see... In Genesis chapter 18, verse 14, God says to Abraham, Nothing's too difficult for me, Abraham. Nothing is too difficult for me, Abraham. And God says to Abraham and Sarah, I'm going to give you a child. Now they were both about in their 90s, maybe Abraham was 100. They were over their, bar- their child-bearing years. And God said to Abram in, in chapter 18 of Genesis, verse 14, Is anything too difficult for me? Is anything too difficult for me? At the appointed time, God says to Abram, I will return to you at this time next year, and Sarah will have a child, a son. And sure enough, she did. Listen, Christian. Listen, please. 
we must obey and we must follow God's leading within our lives. And if you do not hear His voice, there's only one place you're going to hear it. And that is to get to know and understand His Word. To read His Word so you start to hear His voice. And He will move in your life. And when He leads us into places that are difficult, places, circumstances, to deal with people who are difficult, we can remember that nothing is too difficult for God. Now, when we close, as we go go to go into communion, turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. You can close this place off in Acts. We'll come back to it next week. Look at Philippians chapter 4. Three of some of my favorite verses in all of Scripture is found here in Philippians. Paul says these words. Paul, a true hero of mine. He says in verse 11 of Philippians 4, not that I speak from want. He says, I have learned. I have learned. You might want to underline that. Knowing something about the Word of God is learning it. It just doesn't come by osmosis. Paul says, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. I've learned to be content in where I am today. Verse 12 says, I know how to get along in humble means, but I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance... Paul says in verse 12, I have learned, I have learned, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Because of what he has learned, he comes out with verse 13 saying, I can do all things through Christ who what? Who strengthens me. The word do there might be better translated handle. I can handle. I can handle. Handle all things. I've learned to handle all of these things through Christ. Who strengthens me. There's only one way you and I will be strengthened, folks. And that is to get to know the Word of God. And when we hear His voice, to do sometimes the things that seem illogical. Illogical. As we prepare our hearts now for communion, I want you to think about the blessings that God has brought your way. If you're going through difficulty right now, think of one good thing that the Lord has done to you in your life. One good thing. Maybe more. But one is enough for now. And then ask the Lord to strengthen you through whatever it is you're going through. That He might come and and just fill you up. And so as these dear guys come and, and start the preparing us for music, What I'd like for you to do in a moment, at your time, whenever you want to, and as a family, maybe um, if you're here with your family, you can come up as a group and 
and grab a, a, a piece of bread and then simply, when you're ready, to dip it into the juice. And so then you can thank the Lord, remembering what He has done for you. Remembering that He went to the cross to shed His blood, His life, so that you and I might have eternal life. Giving us the most precious gift that you and I will ever receive, and that is eternal life. And so when you take the bread, you, you take it in remembrance of who He is and what He's done for you. And when you dip the bread into the wine or the juice in this case, it's, it's to remind yourself that He shed His blood the new covenant that He has given you. Blood, blood, the very forgiveness of your sin through the blood that Jesus Christ shed for you. And then when you're ready, you can take of it and thank Him. Thank Him. I love you. Oh, that everybody would be as amenish as you are. I love it. Don't ever stop. If it bothers some of you, forgive us. We want people to relax here in this church and be who they are. Take the bread and the wine with your family. Love on them. Love on your family. Love the Lord. Remember what He has done for you. Um, let me close this in prayer first. Thank you, Father for the remembrances of who you are. Thank you, Father, that you're illogical at times and we don't understand you. We don't know, your, we don't know the things of yours. We, your ways are way too high for us. and we, It's hard to comprehend it all. But, Father, you've allowed us to study your word to see the very, the very things that we ought to be and who we ought to become like. Thank you for Ananias. Thank you in his fear, Father, he still was obedient. Thank you that... He thought it was illogical that he would go to Saul. And yet he did as you asked. And thank you for Saul, who became our Apostle Paul, who led so many of us to know you, Father. We are honored that we can call him a friend of ours. Now bless us as we prepare our hearts for communion. And then, Father, as we leave, that we would take a, a rock of remembrance and sign it, Father, and bring it back so that we can remember your grace and kindness to us. In Jesus' precious name, amen.